0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now, here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing today, folks? Good. Awesome to see you guys uh, at church today. I want to say a big thanks to Mark Roy, an awesome message last week, and Robbie from two weeks ago. Would you guys join me in thanking them for awesome services over the past couple of weeks? And In case you're new with us today, we've been in this series called Read the Red, and we've repeated this one particular verse many weeks in a row. It's Luke 9, 23, where Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. And because of this text and many others, we've said... Uh, this one transforming idea throughout the entire series that change happens daily, not in a day. And since it happens daily, we wanted to get into the daily rhythm of being in the red letters or in the scriptures. And so we've challenged you with the 84-day challenge to read the red words of Jesus. We've had these bookmarks posted on our social media website and all of that, Uh, the Read the Red 84-Day Challenge reading plan Um, I know some of you have been going through that throughout the series. We're actually on day 35 now. So if you haven't been doing the reading, um, you could burst hell wide open, but probably not. Um, That's a joke, I'm just kidding with you. But if you haven't started uh, so far, you can go ahead and start today if you'd like. You can start in day 35, day seven, day 21, wherever you wanna start. We just want you to get into the uh, words of the Bible. Now, last week, I was in a part of the country where there had been a lot of rainstorms and a lot of flooding and all of that. And it reminded me of a flood I was in some years ago where my friend Terry and I had to climb out the windows of his car just to escape this flood. And how many of you have ever been involved in a flood of some sort or remember a flood? Just raise a hands real quick. When you raise your hands, that means you're participating. Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, Let me jog your memory with some of the floods in San Antonio. There's a house flooded in 2015 Uh, This particular flood was near Green, Texas, when the Guadalupe River River was overflowing. Uh, Then the next picture you're going to see was a car flooded, 1998 flood here in San Antonio. A guy named Joseph Brooks was stranded on his car for a couple of hours before the rescue workers were able to come uh, and take care of him. And then this third picture you're going to see of the quarry marketplace in the flood of 2002. Um, No doubt some of you drove 281 Uh, and saw what was taking place there in the Almost Basin. Um, But what we all know is, is that flood storms in life are gonna come. If you've been around here very long, you've heard me say that you're either in a flood storm right now, you're just coming through one, or you could be about to go into one. You hope it's not the third one there, right? You hope you're not about to go into a flood storm. And Jesus wants to help. That's why he teaches us in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash, and so this text is all about foundations. But let me take you to the Holy Land just for a minute in Israel to further understand this text. You can see in this picture, uh, this is what's called a wadi. It's basically just a dried-out creek bed. I've hiked in uh, wadis in Israel, and uh, basically what happens there is that floods will happen, rain will happen like 20 miles away, and it's sunny outside, and there'll be a wall of water that will come down and fill this wadi or the dried-up creek bed, and it fills it with like the silica sand in the bottom. And so basically what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7 is, is that it's not that sand is a bad place to put a foundation. You can see places at the beach where they built high-rise hotels that last through a hurricane, but it's about where you build. It's crazy to build your house in a dried up creek bed because even though it's dry most of the year, uh, when the rains come, it's gonna affect you. In Israel, in the desert, the number one killer is not heat exhaustion. It's flooding because the flooding comes when you least expect it. I think what we all know is that in our lives, there are trials that come when we least expect them. So Jesus says it's important how you build your foundation and where you build your foundation. Now, there are a lot of different kinds of foundations that we build underneath our homes, right? I mean, some of you live, how many of you live in a house with a slab foundation, like concrete slab, Raise your hand? Yeah, okay, some of you, anybody live in a basement foundation, anybody? Anybody, not too many basements in South Texas, right? Uh, How many of you live pier and beam like me? Yeah, we got a pier and beam, I put a picture of that on screen and you can see uh, that it's basically a series of piers in the foundation with beams going across that hold your house up. Uh, our house has stood the test of time for 122 years with a, a pier and beam foundation. They need to be adjusted sometimes. Though in this next picture you see on screen is of a crack in the wall. You ever see a crack in the wall in someone's house? And what we tend to do is put spackle or you know some kind of a filler over the top of a crack. Um, and we think that's going to fix it. But we know that it's just a temporary fix because... The problem is never on the wall. It's most of the time underneath the house and the foundation, right? And what I'm asking you to consider today are the piers on which you built your life, your foundation. And that's why I want to submit this one, I believe, transforming idea, and it is inspecting your foundation is wise preparation, Let's say that out loud together with passion and conviction, shall we? Here we go, ready? Inspecting your foundation is wise preparation. Preparing you for those floods that are gonna come when you least expect them. So let's look at peer number one on our foundation and that has to do with our finances, the financial peer. Um, Do you have any anxieties about your money, your resources? Well, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food in your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Isn't that freeing? Doesn't that help you a little bit? And the birds, they don't worry, do they? You know why birds don't worry? Because birds don't have credit cards, do they? Okay, look, if birds had credit cards, they'd have anxiety just like a lot of us. And I think what uh, what we know is is that we get into serious problems with our peer uh, finances because we get into excessive debt that we don't need. That's why we've got this class around the church uh, tribe called Financial Peace. The couple that runs it, they have overcome in 18 months, years ago in their life, they, they started knocking out their debt and they paid off worth of debt. So they know what they're talking about. They've got a good plan, the Dave Ramsey plan to do it. And they teach principles, concepts like the debt snowball, where you knock out your smallest credit card debt first. That way it gives you a little bit more resource with which to create momentum, the snowball effect to knock out other debts in your life. A year, I learned years ago, uh, a simple plan that's called the 10-10-80 plan that's helped people over the years. And if you can learn to tithe 10%, save 10% of your income and live off 80%, you'll be prepared for those financial flood storms that are coming your way in the future. And so you got to know that inspecting your financial foundation is wise, preparation. I feel this so strongly today. I want to just stop the service just for a minute and have a brief time of prayer. I want to pray blessing over your finances. Would you guys receive that? So let's bow our heads. And as we bow our heads, just raise your hand if you've got some financial tension going on in your life, a little anxiety about finances. Well, Lord, you can see the hands that are being raised, and you know everything that folks in this room are dealing with and I pray, Jesus, that as they're doing their part, they're working, serving you, honoring you with their resources. I wanna pray that you'd not only provide miraculously in surprising ways, but that you would bless our people financially because I know that's in your heart to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Let's move on to peer number two, which is reconciliation. Look at what Jesus says about reconciliation in Matthew five twenty-one. He says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, okay, you're like, what is Raka? Okay, Raka is like um, empty-headed, So it's like calling someone an airhead. It's like, you know, insulting someone by calling them a blonde or whatever. I'm not throwing shade blondes. I'm just playing with you today. But this is what they're, this is what he's talking about here. Um, And then he goes on to say, anyone says, you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's pretty hardcore, right? If you call someone uh, a fool, you're going to hell. But this passage is not talking about afterlife, eternal hell, you know, where there's a devil with pitchforks and stuff like that. Um, But this particular passage is talking about hell on earth or the consequences of our action on earth. In fact, in a few weeks, I'm going to do a whole sermon just on hell. It's going to be one hell of a sermon. You won't want to miss it. But look... um, A lot of times in the Bible, there is such a thing as afterlife hell, but a lot of times in the Bible, it it mentions hell and it's not talking about the afterlife. We'll explore that more in a few weeks when I have time to deal with it, but it talks about the fires. It compares our anger to like this fire. And I remember when I was in middle school, My parents were out on a date one night, or they were out doing something, and I wanted a fire in the fireplace. My parents had this gas fireplace, you know, the one where you turn the key, and it turns the gas on. And so I turn the gas on, and I'm flipping a match, you know, to light the the fire there, but the match wouldn't light, right? And I'm like, and gas is still going, you know, like, all right. And, went, and it's like totally singed off my eyebrows, man. And then they grew out, and they were they grew back, and they were like bushier. So, ladies, you want those real fashionable bushy eyebrows? Just blow up your face in a fireplace, dude, and you'll like be looking like Brooke Shields or something, man. So uh, you'll be in good shape. But you ever have like these anger fantasies? Well, it's like a fire. Because you're thinking about it on the inside, aren't you? You ever had that fantasy where you're like, I'll kill him off, I'll cuss him out, I'll punch that sucker in the face, man. I'm gonna kill that sucker. You know, you're thinking, you're having those thoughts, aren't you? I've uh, thought them too, you know. Um, during sermons, watch it. But uh, anyways, there are people in this room who've experienced loss of relationship, hell on earth, because of that fire inside them. Some have experienced prison, hell on earth, because of out of control rage and anger. Um, so it's like, what do you do about this? What's the solution? Well, Jesus says, reconciliation is the key. There's two keys, reconciliation is one. He says, in another part, in the red letter section of the Bible, like, if you come to like the giving station at church to present your offering, And remember that someone has something against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Go and reconcile with that person that has something against you. That's what he says. But it's hard because there are some people that insist on being our enemies and there are some people that when we're around them, we start having those anger fantasies, right? I like what uh, popular Christian author Anne Lamott says as she describes her thoughts towards an enemy. She says, I smile back at her And I thought such awful thoughts that I cannot even say them out loud because they would make Jesus want to drink gin straight out of the cat dish. You know, (laughs) isn't that the way it is? Um, So reconciling doesn't mean that we minimize the sins that have been committed against us because some people have been abused and they're being abused and the person that's doing the abusing needs to be held accountable, don't they? So you can't just sweep it under the rug. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about forgiveness, reconciliation and forgiving a person because some of us are going around with this bitterness, that's eating us up on the inside and creating hell on earth. You know, this author Anne Lamott says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. And a lot of us, even though we've gotten things into the light and uh, dealt with appropriately, the things that uh, people have have done to us in the past. We still have to forgive them and release them, spiritually speaking. But look at the next peer. This is peer number three. Um, Lust versus love. Jesus deals with this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 32. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. who marries a divorced woman, commits adultery. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? It's like, man, we got divorce, we've got adultery, we've got uh, lust. Let's start at, uh, looking at, at lust because there are a lot of people in this room who would tell you that the very foundation of their lives and their children's lives have been rocked by uh, lust that led to adultery that ended in divorce, Right? And this is why Jesus makes such a big deal out of divorce and says that you should, using hyperbole there, cut off your hand or gouge out your eye and throw it away because you're going to experience some hell on earth if you don't get that thing under control. Um, lust leads to hell on earth for people because it dehumanizes the people who are being lusted for as like objects. It creates alienation in your own life, it makes you distant in relationship from other people and creates loneliness in your heart, and men, look, don't, I'm speaking specifically to the men here today, do not believe that lie that says boys will be boys. Men are wired to go from flower to flower. That is not truth. I have lived, I've been very open with you about my lust struggles of the past, and I've lived 18 years completely free of it, not acting out upon those lust issues. We all know that the bird will land on your shoulder, but you don't let them build a nest there, you know what I'm saying? And so we don't act out on those things, and you can be free from that, That's why we have conquerors classes that run for both men and women to alleviate this. But Jesus is very conservative when it comes to divorce. When you compare Jesus to the other rabbis of his day, he makes a big deal about staying marriage. And Jesus tells us that the, our foundations are most secure when we avoid divorce at all costs, if possible. Now, that said, our heart here at the church, if you've been through a divorce, many of our folks here at the church have been through divorces. Um, our heart is to see you helped and healed. From that, So you don't take that same dysfunction into the next marriage. You know what I'm saying? Uh, We want you to not look at the rearview mirror of your life, but we want you to focus on the windshield and a better future. We're forgetting what lies behind. We're pressing on to the upward calling of Christ Jesus. And so we've seen many people uh, experience freedom and healing from those past pains of past marriages. Um, So marriage peer is a significant one to get right isn't it. And so I want to talk to the guys for just a minute. Um you know as guys we know we're supposed to fill our lives uh, our wives' love tanks, aren't we? We know we're supposed to give them gifts and give them encouraging words and um serve them. You know, we love them through acts of service. Some of you have read the love languages book and you know all about that and so guys could you do me a favor real quick? Um, if your wife is here, I want you to turn to her and say something. If your wife is not here, send her a text right now. Um, you can send the text or turn, turn to her and just tell her, I want to serve you. Go ahead. <laughs> All the wives said, amen, Pastor Doug. Right. <laughs> so good. Now, ladies, what you got to understand is that when you respect your husband, that is equally as, as potent as telling him you love him. So ladies, what I'd like you to do is to turn to your man, or if he's not here, text message him right now, but just turn to your man and, and look into his eyes and say, I respect you. That's, that's pretty good, ladies. You know, nine months from now, we're gonna be doing a child dedication. Man, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna go well for y'all after this, but look at, look at peer number four. That's the approval, the approval peer. You keep thinking about that child dedication. (laughs) Couples are like, I respect you. Let's get out of here, honey. Anyways, uh, look at Matthew 6, 1. Jesus says, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. And so whose approval are we looking for? Because a lot of people are struggling with what we call approval addiction. That's basically living in the bondage of what other people think about you. You know, there's a pastor that, um, John Ortberg, he references this study that was done where people in public restrooms oftentimes will not wash their hands unless other people are present in the public restroom with them. Isn't that interesting? Where uh, for a lot of us, we're saying, eek, you know, that's not a good thing to do because what we all know is that really, if you're going to wash your hands in the public restroom, you put your hands up like a surgeon, you know, use plenty of soap, lots of water, wash them off. Then you grab those paper towels there and dry your hands and wad it up on your exit. We know where all the germs are hiding. It's on the doorknob, isn't it? It's on the door handle. And so repurpose those paper towels and open the door, prop the door open with your foot, shoot the basket on your way out. Look, (laughs) If you rim out, just let it lay, man. Someone else will get that rebound, man. But you got to get out of there. It's a cesspool in that bathroom. But we don't want to worry about um, what other people think of us. And so closely connected with this approval addiction uh, is something we call projection and transference, which is basically transferring the issues or wounds from your family of origin onto the other person there. So I really love the way that Anne Lamott... Uh, illustrates this. She says, she's talking about her boyfriend. She says, this boyfriend doesn't like wearing my daddy's doggy suit any more than the last guy I dated. And some of you know all about that because you've gotten married and, um, your lady expects you to be her dad. And you're like, dude, you're like such a girl. I don't want to wear that doggy suit. And it was news to me when I got married that my wife didn't want to be my mom and cook for me and do my laundry. And all she's like, Jack, get in there and cook your own food. You know, it's like, I'm wounded. So I was trying to put my my mommy doggy suit on my wife. Was what I was trying to do. And as you think about that, we we try and force doggy suits onto our spouses, our bosses, our friends, and relationships based upon these wounds that we had in the past. We're transferring. See, so uh, think about this. Think about this: the insecurity that you feel when someone in your life, boss, spouse, whatever just makes a small speck of a verbal uh, statement to you that, that doesn't sit right with you. So let me give you an example with your boss. You go to work, and your boss says, you have an opportunity for improvement, okay? Well, you start putting a doggy suit on the boss and you're saying, well, opportunity for improvement. He just the boss doesn't like my work. He hates me. He's gonna call me in like Trump, you fired. You know, this is what it's gonna end at. See, the story we tell ourselves, it happens also with our wives. You know, your wife expresses some concern about, the bills that are coming in, the household bills, and your mind starts racing. Guys, done it, and you tell yourself this story. You start putting a doggy suit on. It's like she doesn't think I make enough money. I don't make enough money, and men like get all insecure when they don't feel like they're making enough money. And you think, well, this woman, I mean. Good grief, she doesn't think I'm making enough money and she's gonna start swiping right on Tinder or something like that. You know, she can find some rich guy gold digger. That's what that woman is. She's a gold digger, right? You see what we do? And ladies, it's like, um, you know what happens when uh, your husband doesn't compliment your outfit? And guys, we live in fear of you asking us our opinion about your outfits. And so, you know what we do? We just don't say anything. Because we know... you think this outfit makes me look what? Fat. Okay, you said the F word, okay, in church, right? Yeah, It makes me look fat. It's what you're thinking, and you're thinking to yourself, well, he doesn't like the way I look. He doesn't like my body anymore, and I know that he's struggling with lust, and his fantasy is to be the baby daddy of Cardi B or something like that. Are you gonna leave me right here where I sit, right? No. I want you to ask, is, is this really what's taking place, or are you projecting onto someone? Are you telling yourself a story? And you know, some of you, you've had someone put a doggy suit on you for so many years. It's time for you to learn this life script. And the life script is this. I ain't wearing that doggy suit. I'm not wearing that doggy suit. I'm not your dad. I'm not your mom. I'm not your last best friend that hurt your feelings and did this, that, or the other. See? that boundary will set you free. But what happens is, is that we misinterpret just those little specks of things and turn it into a big log. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And see, projection and transference happens when we make other people's spec into a big thing, a log, and when we make our logs into a spec. But look, if you and I can learn to deal with our own logs in our eyes, it gives us the best chance to have successful relationships uh, with other people. Now, of these four peers that we've explored today, all four of them have to do with this life, the consequences of actions in this life. But Jesus does also talk about a future flood that's coming that's related to the wrath of God and future eternities. Let me take you to Matthew 6, 1, where Jesus says, or rather Matthew twenty four thirty seven, when Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, The people were enjoying banquets and partings and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. Isn't that the way things are right now? People are enjoying weddings and parties up until the time. And then it says, people didn't realize what was gonna happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And this is the way it will be when the son of man comes. And so I want you to imagine just for a minute What it was like for Noah once he had gotten himself and his family into that ark and he had completed it and God told him it's time to shut the door. And he shut the door on the ark and the water's rising and now he can't open the door even if he wants to, but he can hear people pounding on the outside of that ark. Let us in, we're about to die in a flood and they'd made fun of him before and acted like nothing was gonna happen, but now all of a sudden it's raining, now all of a sudden the flood's coming and they want in, but it's too late. And you contrast that with what's taking place that's good in our church is that you guys are inviting friends and loved ones to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're inviting them to these services. And so far this year, we've seen 139 of your friends and loved ones come to faith in Christ and be baptized right here at our church. Your friends, your family members are coming to faith in Christ, 139, and we're not done yet. We have like four more baptisms to go this year. And what I'd like you to imagine is your friends that are coming to faith in Christ and what they're going to say to you on the day when Jesus returns again. They're gonna say things like, thank you for putting yourself out there and inviting me to church. You risk being misunderstood as like some weird religious nut in order to invite me to Christ and invite me to hear about the things of God. And I thank you for eternity. I'm going to avoid an eternity without God because you had the courage and the wherewithal to invite me. And look, I understand that you don't think you know everything there is to know about the Bible. And I understand that uh, you don't feel like you have it all together all the time, but at least you had the courage to invite me here where I heard the gospel and came to faith in Jesus. And now I'm gonna spend an amazing eternity in paradise because you had the courage to invite me. And those of you that are spiritual investigators, I so respect you for coming here and exploring spiritually because I know that it's, you're at a time of life right now, some of you, where you're, for the first time in your life, you're doubting your own doubts and you're thinking through your spiritual foundation for your life. And is this Jesus person for real and legit. I think you're wise for looking into this. You know, inspecting your foundation is wise, wise preparation because it's eternity at stake, right? And so as we wrap up, there's this guy, Rodney Botello. And Rodney was the hero, Purple Heart recipient, retired master sergeant in the Marines, served three tours. And he and his family were visiting Bandera, Texas. They were out there at the river that many in this room have been to. The water was kind of high. And this teenage girl was walking across the dam when she got swept into the current, into the water. And the teenage guy that she had gone to the river with jumped in to help her. And he started to drown too. Rodney didn't bat an eye. He jumped into that water and he saved that girl. And then with his last breath, he pushed that young man to safety before the flood water sucked him down and took his life. And that is precisely what Jesus Christ has done for you and and I on the cross is that he sacrificed his own life to pay the penalty for our sins so that if we would want a relationship with God, we could have new life. But the good news is Jesus didn't stay in the flood, but he rose again from the dead to give us new life. And God brought someone here today so that you could receive that sacrifice on your behalf and apply it to your life so you can have a relationship with God. So with that in mind, let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before God in prayer, maybe you'd wanna to talk to God. And for someone in this room watching online, it's the first time you've ever talked to God in your, own lot, your whole life. And you just think this prayer to him. Just say, look, God, I know I have not even lived up to my own standards, let alone yours. But right now in this moment, I choose to believe that you allowed yourself to be sucked under in the flood on your death on the cross so that I could have life. You died for me, and I received that truth. God, welcome into my life. And the second part of our prayer is not for those that are just now believing, but for those who have been children of God for some many weeks, some many years. But maybe it's time to pray over the peers. It's like God I want to be faithful with my finances and I want to love you more than I love money. God, I want to reconcile my relationships. I don't want anger to bring hell on earth in my life. God, I want to get this lust under control and I want to make sure and protect my marriage or my future marriage. God, I want to only seek your approval and not the approval of others. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church and in our city. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.